Good morning, Seabreeze. My name is Elliot. I'm one of the pastors here. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter. And in that book, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus's first followers, writes a letter to a group of young Christians. And he explains to them how God is making them different from the inside out. And he also details how now that they're becoming different on the inside, how their lives are supposed to look, how they're supposed to live differently. So today we're going to turn our attention to part of chapter four, and we're going to look at making different investments with our lives. Now, when I was in my early 20s and kind of in college, I remember people would tell me, you need to start investing now. You need to start saving for retirement, even if it's as small as $25 a month and kind of just putting that aside in a little investment fund and letting it grow over time. And they would, they would say that to me and I would think, yeah, that's a good idea. I should probably do that. And then when I got out of school, I, I didn't start doing that, but then when I got out of school and kind of got my first real job and started working, and I remember we had a benefits meeting and I was making, you know, up to that point in my life, the most I'd ever made. And we're in this benefits meeting and they're kind of explaining this investment package they have and this matching program where, you know, if we put a certain amount in this kind of 401k plan, that the company would match it up to a certain percentage. And I didn't really pay that much attention because to me, I, I had this money and I hadn't had this much money before. And so instead of thinking about the future, all I could think about was how I was gonna spend that money in the moment. So I didn't even take advantage of that program then, even though people were telling me, oh, you really need to do this. This is really smart. But now that I'm, now that I'm in my mid thirties and I have a wife and I have three kids, I really wish I would have taken that advice a lot sooner than I did and gotten started with investing all the way back at the beginning of my 20s. Actually, one time I was looking at my different accounts and seeing how they were doing and I decided, well, I wonder how different they would be if I just went back and added up from my, the beginning of my 20s and the amount of time that I spent not investing, what would those accounts look like? And it was painful. It was painful because I saw I would have a lot more money than I do right now in those accounts. And honestly, I have no idea where all that money went. I don't, I don't remember what I spent it on. So it ended up just being a waste. So to all the 20 year olds out there, I know your parents are telling you, you need to be saving and you need to be investing. Hear it from somebody a little bit younger than your parents. It's a really good idea. But it turns out investing for the future when it comes to finances, that is not the only investment, and it's not even the most important investment that we can make in life. Actually, there are far more important investments than just financial investments. And when we become Christians and God starts making us different on the inside, actually what God does is he opens a door for us to make completely new investments with our lives. So Peter talks about this and he points out how it's possible that we can make new investments with our lives, investments that actually have an eternal implications. He says this at the beginning of chapter four, verse one, he says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now what Peter does here is he sets up a contrast. The contrast is between living for evil human desires or living for the will of God. And he sets up this contrast because our time 
here on this planet is a gift. And it's a gift that we get to use and invest. And just like investing in the stock market comes with gains or losses, it's the same way with our lives and how we invest our lives. We can either invest in stuff that's gonna have some really good returns, or we can invest in stuff that's gonna be a loss in the end. And that's why he says to them, he says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. The idea of pagans is they don't have God as a reference point. So he's saying, you've spent enough time investing in the wrong stuff. If you consider the list that he includes here, you realize that it's not just investing in stuff that's gonna be a loss that we can't take with us in the end. We're actually investing in things that they kind of have an enslaving impact on us. They, over time, as we spend our time investing in these things, they actually gain power over us. So Peter's saying, he's saying, stop do that. Stop doing that. Stop wasting your time and in investing in things that won't last. So he, he tells us, he says, instead of that, instead of investing in those things, you need to take Christ seriously. He says, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Train yourselves to think like Christ did, to act how he instructs, to say no to the attitudes and actions that God says are sin. And if you choose this approach, over time what you're going to experience is you say no to what God says not to do and you say yes to what he instructs us to do, over time you're going to experience more and more freedom from the power of sin in your life. And with that is going to come more opportunities to spend your life investing in something that's going to have a great reward, a great return on it. Just like he says, because at that point, you're living for the will of God. You're doing what God wants you to do. So it's one thing to tell us to invest, but the next question is, so what's a good investment strategy? Okay, so our, our time in this life is important and we need to use it and invest in things that are meaningful and won't be a loss. But what, what would that look like? What's a good investment strategy? Well, Peter answers that question. And just a few verses later, he says this in verse seven. He points to the first investment we can make, which is investing in prayer. He says this in verse seven. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, let's ask a few questions to try to kind of understand what he's pointing to here. First question is, what is prayer? Prayer is about a relationship. It's a conversation. It's us going to God and presenting our requests. It's us asking him to do things. It's asking for insight or clarity or asking him to work or it's praising him. Prayer is about a relationship. And because we have a relationship with him, because he lives inside of us, as we pray and present our requests, over time, he changes us on the inside. And we become more in tune with how he's working in the world and how he wants us to live. The relationship grows and develops as we regularly practice prayer. So it's about a relationship. Another question is, how is prayer an investment? Well, not only is prayer about the relationship, so the relationship gets stronger, but what's really fascinating is there are things that will or will not happen if we do or don't pray. James writes this in the letter he writes in chapter four. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, James 4, 2. Now that's a fascinating statement because sometimes what we think is, sometimes people think prayer is, it's kind of a psychological trick. Nothing, nothing happens in the world. There's no impact from prayer. It's just something to make us feel better or something to maybe change our thinking. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that 
There are things in your life and my life and the lives of the people that we love and throughout the world that will or will not happen if we do or don't pray. And if you think about that, prayer is an amazing investment opportunity. I mean, just, it's not the only factor, it's not the only influencer on what happens, but the fact that it is and has an impact on what happens means that prayer is an an amazing investment opportunity. So then the question, if if it's an amazing investment opportunity, the question is, well, why don't we make this investment? Well, Peter answers that, and notice that he doesn't say in the verse, notice that he doesn't just say, the end of all things is near, therefore pray. Notice he adds, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. What he's pointing to is he's pointing to the reason we don't make this investment. And the reason we don't make this investment is distractions. I mean, the, re- the main reason that we don't pray is the distractions of life seem more important or more urgent than the act of praying. He, he says to them, he says, the end of all things is near. Just imagine how chaotic and upside down their world must have seemed for him to write that to them. I mean, there, there were probably a million other things that they would be thinking about and focused on other than prayer. But he says, you need to be alert and of sober mind. You need to be alert, just like when you're driving a car, you need to pay attention and focus. Because it's only somebody who's alert to what's going on in the world, they're not gonna get distracted. They're gonna keep looking to the God who's invisible and that we can't see. And it's only a sober-minded person who doesn't get fuzzy or unclear that is able to control themselves and stay focused on the task of praying. So he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, if you're going to pray, you've got to be alert and you've got to be of sober mind. And this is really important for us because when we look at the world around us, it's kind of like looking at an iceberg. You know, when you look at the iceberg, there's 10% above the surface and 90% below the surface. There's the 10% that you see and then there's the 90% that you don't see. There's all the stuff below the surface. Above the surface, the 10% that we see, you know, we see other people, we see our families, there's relationships that we have, we see our job, we see the economy, we see the impacts of this virus, we see the environment, we see politics. These are the things that are going on above the surface. But below the surface, the 90%, we can't see that. We can't see God, he's invisible. We can't see in the human heart. We can't see what's going on in other people's hearts. We can often not even see what's going on in our own hearts. And if you think about it, from out of our hearts come all the decisions that we make. That means there's a lot going on inside there. We can't see that. We can't see the spiritual battle that we're in. We can't see heaven. We can't see eternity. So there's a lot going on under the surface that we just can't see. The the 10% that's above the surface, that's really important. But the 90% below the surface, that's actually more important because what's below the waterline, that's going to determine what happens above the surface. And here's kind of how this is important for us as Christians, because on a written test, if you ask Christians, is the 90% that you can't see, is that real and important? On a written test, Christians are going to say yes. But the life test of how real we believe the 90% is, is prayer. Prayer is the life test for how real we believe the 90% is. Just like for me in my early 20s, me not choosing to invest, you know, on a test I would say, oh yeah, of course, investing in retirement, incredibly important. But I didn't do anything. 
So that pointed to the reality that I really didn't think it was that important. And it's the same thing with prayer. For me, one time, I was going through a crisis, and I called my dad to get some help, and I really wanted some wisdom, and I also wanted him to help solve the problem. So I called him and explained to him what was going on, and he asked a simple question. He just said, Elliot, have you prayed about this? And I had to be honest, I hadn't prayed about it. I mean, my first reaction, kind of everything started happening, and I've got to call my dad. I've got to figure out what's going on. So I called him, and he wasn't rude in response. He was very kind, and he just said, hey, because you haven't prayed about this, why don't you take some time to pray about this first, and then call me back. I would love to help you out. Now, when he did that, I was pretty upset in that moment. I was frustrated. I wanted him to solve the problem. But what my dad understood was that the 90% is really complex. What's going on below the surface is really important and it's really complex. And because I hadn't spent time praying, it was showing that I really wasn't taking it that seriously. So you know, we might say, yeah, we think the below the surface is really important, but prayer is really the indicator of if we really believe that or not. When we pray, what we're doing is we're looking past the chaotic and distracting 10% that's all most people consider, and we're looking below the waterline at the 90% that really drives everything. We're recognizing that the problems of this world are much more complex than what's above the surface, and we're remembering that it's what happens below the water, below the surface, that determines what we see. So a lack of consistent regular prayer, it indicates that we're only considering the 10% and trying to solve below the surface issues with above the surface solutions. So for us, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we investing in prayer? There are things that will or will not happen if we do or don't make this investment. And if we're not making this investment, and this is true of my life too, when we're not making this investment, what that points to is we're distracted by what's going on above the surface and not spending time considering being alert and of sober mind to what's happening below the surface. So Peter says, you need to make this investment. And again, he writes, the end of all things is near. Don't get distracted. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, a second investment that Peter points to is investing in people. And love is how we invest in people. We invest in people by loving. This is what he says in verse 8, right after verse 7. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So let's answer the question, what is love? And we've got to ask this question because it's difficult for us in our society because the word is used several different ways. Some people think love is a really strong feeling and that's how they use the term. It's kind of like, because it's a strong feeling, it's kind of like the clouds that'll come in in the afternoon. The clouds come in one day and then the next day they're gone. So one day there's love, but then, you know, the next day it just kind of blows away. So we use the term as, you know, it's just a strong feeling. Another way that people think of love and refer to it is what love means is love means we let people do whatever they want. Love means that you won't say no to me. Love means that you won't deny me what I want to do. And both of these ideas about love, they miss and they're different from what the Bible teaches about love. In this verse in 1 Peter 4, 8, the word for love, the Greek word for love used here is the word agape. 
And a helpful definition of this word is agape means to inconvenience myself for the benefit of another. It's making a conscious decision. I'm going to do what's best for the other person before I do what's best for me. And it's not because I feel strongly about them. It's not because they've earned it. It's not because they're so amazing. It's not even because they're going to repay me. It's a choice that I make. It's a choice that I make to meet their needs before I look to my own needs. And it's not something that I just do one time, but it's something that I do over and over and over again. When the Bible talks about love, that's what the Bible is describing. And when you think about this, what you realize is love is by far the most difficult thing we will do, but it's also the most important investment that we can make. Because what love does is it creates an environment where people are free and the truth of God can shine a light on what's going on in our lives and then we have the freedom to decide, are we going to accept that and make decisions in light of that and change or are we not? That's the environment that love creates. And this is important because the Bible kind of points to two things that we all have in common. First of all, none of us is good enough to meet God's standards. I mean, we're not even good enough to meet our own standards. None of us is good enough to meet our own God's standards. The second thing that it points to is none of us are smart enough to put the broken pieces of our lives together. And because this is true of us on the inside, whether we recognize it or not, this impacts the way we present ourselves and how we treat other people. So what we do is we live in a world where we regularly put other people down in order to make ourselves look good. We punish people for disagreeing with us. We hold it over people's heads whenever they wrong us. We hold other people to standards that we don't dare apply to ourselves. We live in a world where we're, we're constantly trying to hide our own flaws and put whatever we think our best side is forward. We don't want people to see what's really going on. We want them to see the best version of ourselves. This is what we live in. And because of this harsh world, we're constantly putting up walls. Walls to prevent anybody from seeing what's happening inside of our hearts. And these walls that we put up that we think are protecting us, they're doing nothing to address the problem. We think they're keeping from people from seeing the problem, but they're doing nothing to address the real problem that we're not good enough and we're not smart enough. It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on skin cancer. It's not going to do anything. This, the cancer is still going to grow. It's the same thing with these walls that we put up to protect ourselves. So when Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins, this is so important because kind of the idea that he's referring to is it's, it's similar to how oil functions in the engine of a vehicle. In an engine, you have all these metal parts that are moving, and without that oil, those metal parts that are causing friction against each other, they'll, they'll seize up and they'll lock and the engine will break down. Because of the friction, it'll break down and stop working. And it's actually the same way in relationships. When there's not love in relationships, just like when there's not oil in an engine, relationships break down. Because as, as sinful, broken people, we bump into each other. We wrong each other. We make mistakes. But what love does is it, it doesn't cancel those wrongs, but it covers over them. And because it covers them and it creates this space where who we really are can kind of come out into the open without fear of being attacked or without fear of being laughed at. What love does is it creates space 
for the truth to shine a light on what needs to change, and then love gives the freedom where we get to decide if we're going to change. And this is why love is the most difficult thing we'll do, but the most important investment that we'll make. So like Peter says, he says, above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. So what does it look like? What are, what are some practical ways that we can make this investment in people's lives? Well, verse 9, Peter points to one. He says this. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. What he's saying is invite people into your life. That's what hospitality is. Hospitality is the act of inviting people into your life to show them that you value them. I was reading a book on this not too long ago, and the author asked a question, and the question was, when was the last time you invited somebody into your home to share a meal with them who wasn't a close friend or family? And obviously this was before all the stay-at-home orders, but when I read that, I had to be honest and say, you know what, my list stops at close friends and family members. There was nobody else on my list, so I was, I, I was convicted. I was sitting there going, you know what, I'm, I need to grow in this practice of offering hospitality to people. And in this current season, it is more complex right now because of some of the restrictions, but we can still get creative. There's still opportunities. I mean, we might not be inviting people into our homes, but for my wife and I in our neighborhood, we've kind of tried to, to take more time on walks to just stop and talk to neighbors, maybe even just go up and knock on their door. We might not invite them into our home, but maybe we'll invite them onto the front porch to talk. There's still plenty of opportunities to invite people into our lives, even though it might look different and we've got to get creative, it's still out there. And we can make the investment of loving people by inviting them into our lives. So in this season, get creative, figure out what is that going to look like for you? How could you do that? How could your family do that? How could you invite people in and let them get to know you and love them, inconvenience yourself for the benefit of them? Another way we can make this investment that Peter points to is the next verse, verse 10. And what he says is he says, hey, another way you can make this is to go and offer help. He says in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What he's saying is go and offer help to people. Hospitality is inviting them in. Serving is going and look for a need that you can meet. And it says that God's given us gifts. God's given us various gifts, all kinds of gifts. We all have been gifted in various different ways. I mean, some people have skills and talents. Others have time and energy and availability. Maybe it's resources that you have. And God hasn't given these just for our own enjoyment. He hasn't given them just so we can use them on what we want to use them on. He's given them to us, like he says here, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a faithful steward of God's grace in its various form? The idea is, as you use what God's given you to go and offer help and serve other people, they're getting a taste of who God is. They're experiencing something important about God. So as you go and you make these investments of love by serving people, they're getting to learn something through practice about who God is, because God gave you these gifts so that you could use them to serve other people. So for you, you're going out, you're investing in people, you're figuring out how to invite them into your life. Start asking the question, what do you need? How could I help? Is there, usually we wait. We wait for somebody to say, I need help. But this has the idea of be proactive to go and look for ways that you can meet a need. Go and offer help to other people. That's a way that you can make the investment of love in their life. 
So just real practically, Peter points to these two. He says, invite them into your life, hospitality, and then go and offer help. Serve them. Use what God's given you to serve. Again, back, back at the very beginning of this message, back to what Peter said in chapter 4, verse 3. He says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. He said, you've, you've spent enough time investing in the wrong thing. You've spent enough of your life investing in something that's going to be a loss in the end. Now that God is making you different on the inside, be different. Invest in something different. Pray. Don't get distracted. There's a lot going on in the surface. There's a lot going on in the 10%. But what's going on in the 90% in the iceberg, what's below the surface, that's far more important. So don't get distracted. Pray. And then invest in people. Love people. Look for ways to invite them into your life. Look for ways to go and serve. Like he says, above all, love each other deeply because love has the amazing power of covering over a multitude of sins so that we have the space to see who we really are and what we really need, and then God can address those things. That's an amazing investment that we can make in people's lives. So we go and we pray, we make the investment of prayer, and then we invest in people's lives by loving them. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that when you change us, you allow us to use our lives to make investments that matter. And our time here is not a waste, but it can be used in the work that you're doing. So I, I ask that we would be people that are not distracted by everything going on above the surface, but we would, we would, we would take time to consider what's below the water, what's really happening. We would take time to look to you who's in charge, and we would pray. Regularly, we would come to you in prayer, and we would make that investment. And I ask that we would make the investment of loving people. We would invite them into our lives. We would look for ways to offer help to them. We would make the investment of love, and people would change. I thank you for these opportunities. In Jesus' name, amen.